Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host Chris Genthy and I have a great show lined up for you today. So let's go ahead and get started with the news. Um, so the Retro USB AVS, Retro USB being the name of the company, the AVS being their clone NES console, uh, went up for pre-order for the general public. Um, now it's on RetroUSB.com. It's $185. Um, this is a FPGA-based uh, system, so it should have 100% compatibility and act pretty much like a real NES. Now, we've talked about in the past whether this is a clone, whether this is emulation, a recreation, and after doing lots of research on FPGAs, I still have no idea what you would call it. Um, you might call it hardware emulation. I'm not real sure. It is kind of a recreation, but uh, anyway, that's kind of the alternative to getting something like the NES Classic Edition, which uh, the official device from Nintendo, which uh, is definitely going to be emulation. Uh, this uh, looks pretty cool. I am not probably going to pre-order one. I know when I talked about it a few months ago, I said that I was definitely going to, um, but I got to buy a few external hard drives for the show, and uh, I just don't have $185 in the show's budget. So, uh, that's where we're at. If it's something that continues to be sold for a couple of years, then I'll definitely get one maybe next spring or something like that. Or maybe something will change and I'll have one sooner than I think. But uh, for now, I really, really want one, but uh, probably not going to get one. But that, if you're interested in that, the retro USB AVS, of course, it has a cartridge slot uh, that is available for pre-order. Uh, next, <clears throat> this is actually kind of an old story and then kind of got brought back up. So somebody archived the first 170 issues or so of the Nintendo Power Magazine and put them on archive.org. Um, I keep meaning to put the old episodes of the show on archive.org. I put the first two up there um, and then just sort of stopped. It's kind of a free way to have podcast hosting, except for it's not that reliable. Um, but there's lots of great stuff on there. And if you put it up there, it's Creative Commons, so anybody can use it. Um, but somebody uploaded Nintendo Power about five months ago, so you could get all of the uh, old Nintendo, not all, you could get a majority of the old Nintendo Powers uh, on archive.org. And then sometime this past week, it kind of, people caught on that it was available there and kind of made the news rounds. And then Nintendo, of course, promptly took it down because uh, that's what they always do. I, I hesitate to even talk about a lot of these because it's just the same thing. Somebody did something that violates Nintendo's IP and then Nintendo shuts it down. Uh, that's what's always going to happen. Um, but it got me thinking, why doesn't Nintendo just either sell these, uh, release them in some sort of book, put them online uh, as PDF files for people to download for free? Um, they have like this huge wealth of content that people want access to, obviously, uh, yet they don't make it available for people, which I find it's kind of a missed opportunity. Like, look how long, you know, NES clone systems have been out since, you know, the mid nineties, yet they don't make their own clone system for, uh, two decades. So I don't know. That's what it makes me wonder. Why doesn't Nintendo do a better job catering to these fans? Why do they, not see these fan projects and other things and, and some, you know, curate that talent or, or do it themselves or something, uh, you know, like Sega, um, taking Christian Whitehead and, you know, bringing him on board and paying him to, to make a Sonic game. Like, why can't Nintendo do that? Why don't they take advantage of all that passion and talent that's out there and, and use it instead of just shutting everything down? It seems like a real disconnect to me. Something that's always bugged me about Nintendo, but obviously, 
That's what's going to happen when you do something like that. Nintendo's going to shut it down. Um, so I, I was never, I never subscribed to Nintendo Power Magazine. I was obviously always aware that it, it uh, existed. I want to say sometime in like 1998 or 1999, um, when I first had, when I first had a job, I, you could back order old Nintendo Powers and I, I actually, at that time in 1998 or 1999, they still had issue number two in stock. I wanted the first one, uh, but they came back to me and said it wasn't available. Uh, but I did have like two. I had the Super Mario Brothers 3 strategy guide and a couple of other random issues. I don't know what made me pick and decide what issues, um, but I held on to those for a while. And uh, at some point, probably uh, between moves, I dumped uh, my entire magazine collection. I know there are collectors of magazines out there. Um, I had a ton of stuff from right before the Dreamcast. So I would, it must have been the beginning of 99 is when I really started going gung ho on gaming magazines. Again, pre-internet, um, gaming journalism really didn't exist online. IGN, I believe, did exist online, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't huge. Hell, back then, I didn't have access to broadband. I only had access to dial-up, uh, living in a rural area. So, um, I've talked about it a few times. The only things I've held on to, I have a complete run of the official Dreamcast magazine, including all of the demo discs. Um, I haven't gone back in there and uh, looked through those in a really long time. Um, and I think I have a couple next-gen magazines that had interesting covers talking about the Dreamcast launch. Um, possibly the EGM issue where they reviewed every launch game for the American Dreamcast. I'm not sure, but... Uh, yeah, it would be really neat to have access to all of those. There's so many great interviews and things, um, you know, po- possibly even a lot of theories, you know, that we have now, you know, could be debunked with some of these old interviews and news stories. But uh, yeah, now once a year or so, I'll grab a retro gamer magazine from uh, Barnes & Noble. This, I believe, is made in the UK. Um, dedicated to retro gaming. A lot of times it has a lot of 8-bit computer stuff, but as that wasn't big in America, it wasn't part of my childhood, and I don't find it as interesting as as the the Genesis and Super Nintendo stuff. But yeah, magazines, unless it's a, a real niche thing that you know you don't have to sell a lot of copies of, uh, you know, to be successful, they just pretty much died. So whoever downloaded those uh, Nintendo powers while they were up, you know, they'll exist on, you know, torrent and, you know, the shady areas of the internet for a long time, I'm sure. Um, Next, the Xbox One S was finally, uh, not finally, I guess, was released. So this is kind of, I suspect that the normal Xbox One uh, will just kind of cease to exist and the Xbox One S will replace it, um, which is why I'm not angry that they've released a new one because I don't have an Xbox One. So it's kind of neat that if I finally decide to dive in, you know, I I get one that isn't necessarily, you know, three-year-old tech. I get one that has a few updates. Um, I have watched a few reviews of this, the big one being Re-Res. I thought uh, Shane did a really awesome job uh, reviewing the system. Um, He took a real positive look at it, which is something I appreciate. It's kind of easy to nitpick things into hell and beyond, but that just doesn't entertain me. So I thought that was really neat. Of course, the Xbox Xbox One S has an integrated power supply, uh, produces less heat and noise. It's 45% smaller. It has a matte finish instead of glossy, something I hate about the Wii U. And the Wii U controller in particular, uh, glossy finishes are very, very dated in my opinion and shouldn't really exist anymore. 
Um, it's three, I think right now they only have the $400 one or $399 one that has uh, a large hard drive and then the $299 model uh, with a smaller hard drive should be coming out uh, <clears throat> before the holiday season. Again, I don't plan on buying an Xbox One S, uh, but I do think it's cool that they've refreshed it. You know, if we look at the Xbox 360, it took them way too long to kind of redesign the hardware in a way where it didn't melt itself. So we shall see. So kind of have a short show for you today, uh, partly because I'm behind on a lot of things. Uh, today's Wednesday, of course, and partly because I'm trying really hard not to look sweaty. So <clears throat> this is episode 98. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about some of my favorite games from 1998. Um, pri- a little history that's going to be taking a trip down memory lane for me. Um, so I grew up pretty poor. Um, you know, not having a lot of money, uh, my entire childhood, basically. So, uh, our very first system was a Atari, which would have been, I think might've gotten it in the Christmas of 1991, just to give you an idea. You know, I'm sure my mom probably paid $20 for an Atari and a box of games. Um, that I think we got rid of not long after we only had a single TV in our house, so we never got to use it. And I don't know, it just disappeared. It'd be cool to have that, but it's gone now. Um, and then I want to say uh, the Christmas of 1993. No, I've already talked about when we got the Genesis. Um, man, spring of 93, spring of 94. Whatever episode I talked about it, I tracked on the right date. Uh, but I want to say in the Christmas of 92 or 1993, something like that, we got an NES with a box of games. And that's really when gaming, uh, when I had my own game system and, and really started falling in love with video games. Um, and then spring of 96, I believe it was, I got a Genesis. So as you can see, I always had a system that was at least a generation or two old. I never had a brand new system that was new and relevant. Um, and that all changed in 1998. Um, so I have right here, this is the, this is the, uh, PlayStation I unboxed, uh, in Christmas of 1998. I still have, uh, the same PlayStation for the past 16 years. I still have the box. I still have the DualShock controller. Um, unfortunately, at some point in time, in history, I did get rid of, uh, my entire PlayStation collection. Um, I have built it back up to a lesser extent, but at some point, I assume I got rid of everything uh, for the 1999 Dreamcast launch. But uh, it is something that's cool. I'm glad I still have that original box that I had opened way back then. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, so a lot of my, a lot of the best games or most memorable games for me come from 1998, and I don't actually own all of these games anymore. Really, what I remember most about the PlayStation was the demo disc. Uh, with the advent of CDs, now we could, you know, with the Dreamcast magazine, obviously, you know, watch videos and play demos of games that, uh, you know, hadn't even come out yet, which was pretty sweet. So I remember playing the hell out of the Metal Gear Solid demo that came with my PlayStation, and I remember it being all in Japanese. Um, and this would have been the very first time I had heard Japanese spoken um, or you know, heard that language, uh, in real life. So that, that was a pretty like huge moment for me. Like, oh yeah, games are developed in Japan. That means when they play games in Japan, you know, they don't sound like what I remember all of these years. So sounds stupid, but you know, that was something that was, you know, a bit mind opening. The world got a little bigger that day. Um, Metal Gear Solid is a game I don't currently own. Um, I'm kind of surprised I don't own it. Um, I was big into the Dreamcast. I got Bleem, um, when that was released for the Dreamcast, so I have the Gran Turismo 2 disc for Bleem, and then uh, a PlayStation copy of Gran Turismo 2. I think it's Gran Turismo 2. 
Um, and then I should have probably picked up the, the Metal Gear Solid Bleem along with Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation. And then, um, is it Tekken 3? And then Bleem for Tekken 3. So I did own Metal Gear Solid, but I could never beat it. Um, and then not being able to beat it, it's kind of a game that I just lost interest in and eventually lost it. Now, you know, it's a game that I'd really like to sit down and get through just because it's, you know, so historic. It was made by, you know, Konami when they were still very innovative. Uh, it was made by a very visionary storyteller. Uh, you know, how that affects gameplay, you know, I'm not really going to get into, but just a game I'd really like to own again and beat again and finally, you know, check that off the list. Uh, bucket list, if you will. Um, Gran Turismo, the first one came out in 1998. This was uh, a game I definitely had and uh, was a pretty huge deal. This is where I really started falling in love with cars. Um, so 1998, I would have been Christmas in 98. I would have been 15. So uh, a year away from getting my driver's license, or at least that's what we typically do. Oh, God, kids don't even always get their driver's license at 16 anymore. But um, back in 1998, you know, you'd get it right away at least around the Wisconsin or the Midwest. Um, God, now kids have, I, kids don't even need driver's license anymore. Um, but uh, that's what made me fall in love with cars. And again, seeing all of these crazy exotics or supercars or sports cars, um, you know, when I had grown up with, uh, you know, a Ford Escort and a Chevy Cavalier my entire life, I didn't even realize there was, you know, this huge uh, world of these fantastic cars that look awesome and have these huge en engines and make all of these sweet sounds. And uh, that was probably a pretty big game for a lot of people. It was the first real simulation game for consoles at least one that resonated with people so uh again huge game 1998 i played the hell out of that definitely didn't beat that don't own it anymore either uh next is spyro the dragon on the playstation this would have been on the demo disc that came with there i still have it should review that that would be fun there's like legacy of kane soul reaver on it um i want to say there was a rugrats game on there Man, I can't remember everything, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, Metal Gear Solid was definitely on there. Spyro the Dragon. Uh, I did review this a couple of years ago when I pretty much rebooted the, the YouTube channel. Um, it's a game I'd like to really revisit and really sink my teeth into. Uh, but this is what I remember when I played through the game was it just being very casual and very fun. I get the feeling pretty much my entire gaming career, I've liked games that don't stress me out. In Spyro the Dragon, while it has its challenging moments, uh, there's a lot of the game that feels very whimsical and very calming and very relaxing and kind of, you know, roaming around the levels and uh, what's the word I'm like soaring through the levels, I guess. So it was very relaxing uh, and very chill in the music and the cartoony enemies and the really bright colors are something that I still find very visually appealing. So that's a game that really stands out for me in 1998. Um, next, uh, I talked about this back on episode 86, F0X for the Nintendo 64. This used to be a very cheap game that I would see everywhere for $2. Uh, I believe if my memory of episode 86 is right, uh, this goes for a bit more now, but it's still pretty reasonable. Um, but just a fantastic futuristic racer. And, uh, it's really not much else to say. It runs at 60 frames per second, uh, disables a lot of the um, N64 hardware features like anti-aliasing and some texture smoothing that makes a lot of N64 games look smeary. So it looks more like a Saturn game or a PlayStation game without texture warping. And uh, it just plays really well. It has an awesome soundtrack. The track designs are just 
something else. There, there's the whole game is just so far ahead of uh, what most racing games could ever hope to be. So finally, we move on to the next generation and Sonic Adventure. Um, this came out in 1998 in Japan, of course, the very end of 1998. Um, this is uh, what made me fall in love with the Dreamcast. I remember playing Sonic Adventure uh, sometime in the summer of 1999 at a Best Buy. Um, I can't remember everything that was at Best Buy as a demo. Possibly NFL 2K, um, definitely Sonic Adventure, maybe Ready to Rumble Boxing, I'm not real sure. But Sonic Adventure, uh, I remember playing this... Um, it's just so weird to think of you know, what a Best Buy looked like uh, back in 1999, but... Uh, God, you could buy CDs at a Best Buy. Imagine that. Um, but yeah, it just blew me away. And it looks so much better than the PlayStation that I had been playing for the last seven or eight months. And it, it just blew my mind. It made me really, really excited about Sega again because I didn't even know the Saturn existed. You know, my gaming world at that point was pretty small, uh, but was about to get a lot, lot bigger. Um, and this is kind of the last time I really remember watching a video game and just being blown away like, holy cow, I can't believe how good this looks. Um, even getting a 360 on launch, playing uh, Project Gotham Racing and um, Perfect Dark Zero, like they didn't blow me away. They looked really good and they were really, you know, obviously better, but it didn't like wow me. It wasn't like a holy cow, we are about to enter a new era. Um, and I think that whole, the Dreamcast was kind of the last system to do that. So I happen to really like Sonic Adventure. Uh, I didn't really like the follow-ups after Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure 2, Sonic Heroes, and Shadow the Hedgehog. Uh, when they kind of went to the boost formula with Sonic Unleashed, I, I do enjoy Sonic Unleashed, even the even the Werehog parts, but uh, that'll be for a video for another day. But Sonic Adventure is a game that uh, I don't... It gets ragged on a lot these days. Whenever I play it uh, from start to finish, I'm still having a blast. Even with the fishing levels, every everything about it just reminds me of a different time. There's a lot of nostalgia there, and I do feel the game isn't that buggy or glitchy or, or full of problems that would prevent you from having fun. So those are my five from 1998. Definitely not my top five, uh, but... Uh, during the cheap game segment, I've been talking about a lot of games that were released in this era, so I really wanted to mix it up and talk about something different, something new, and uh, kind of reminisce about the old PlayStation. So, yeah, it is kind of neat seeing that box again, because I've had it, you know, half my life now, which is pretty sweet. Uh, we'll move on to a couple of questions. Charlie Ward asks, what is your favorite console of all time? This for me is very easy. It is the Sega Dreamcast. Now, I don't think the Sega Dreamcast is the best game console of all time, um, but it's definitely like you could the NES, the PlayStation, possibly the PlayStation 2. Uh, you might be able to argue are the best. Um, maybe even the 2600 really kind of started everything. Uh, the Dreamcast is without a doubt my favorite. However, again, I kind of already touched upon how it was the first system that really blew me away. Um, Tokyo Extreme Racer uh, was a huge game. That's the game I got on launch. NFL 2K and uh, Tokyo Extreme Racer. I had pre-ordered Sonic Adventure, uh, but the best buy that I pre-ordered my system and games from either didn't get a shipment of Sonic Adventures or they had a bad batch that didn't work. Um, I did get it a couple days later uh, at a Walmart and got my credit back at Best Buy, but um, 
Where did I go? Yeah, so that's my favorite. It's the first system that I got on launch day because the Atari, the NES, the Genesis, and the PlayStation I got many years after their launch. Uh, but the Dreamcast, I got to be there right from the very start. So I'm one of, you know, 300,000 or 350,000 people that were there um, in America anyway from day one. And it's, uh, you know, it's very memorable. I remember taking the the 40, well, gosh, it could have been an hour drive after school to go get it and then sitting in the car and opening the box and holding and touching everything, um, you know, waiting in anticipation to get back home so I could finally hook it up. Uh, all of those things, like, I remember it very vividly. I remember being disappointed. I want to say the Dreamcast launched on a Thursday. Someone will, maybe I should look it up, 9999. I think that was a Thursday, and I begged my parents uh, to let me off school, you know, to play hooky on Friday, and they weren't having it, which was unfortunate. But, uh, the Dreamcast for me also marks the end, uh, a very dramatic shift in gaming, I think. Uh, to me, the Dreamcast really feels like the last system that was about uh, short, uh, shorter games, shorter arcade-style games. There was a ton of awesome games that didn't take 25 hours to beat on that system, um, like Crazy Taxi, Jet Set Radio, um, even stuff, yeah, it's anything by midway hydro thunder just like a ton of games that were really very 90s and when the playstation 2 and gamecube and xbox came out i feel like gaming definitely turned a page uh it stopped to me feeling like games were meant to be fun it felt more like games were built by a committee um and this is what really bugs me about people that review games now is i hear so little about how a game makes somebody feel or how much fun they're having and it feels like everyone just wants to to nitpick everything into the ground the game is too short the game is too long it has it doesn't have enough weapons or the textures are this or just things i don't care the jumping uh, crash bandicoot wrath of cortex well the controls aren't exactly the same so you know and his shoe size is slightly bigger and his ears are round so therefore this game sucks i hate all of that um and, and that's what gaming feels like to me now it feels like games are made to be critic proof and it feels like a lot of that love and and soul is missing from gaming these days now i still play a lot of games that have that heart and passion but you know it just feels like the the big budget main games that that's just kind of lost and i feel like the dreamcast that that final arcade system that was all about the feel and was all about the the audio and visuals and and how you know trying to make you feel excited and and focusing on you having fun it didn't have to be a five-hour game you could play a game multiple times instead of you know playing it once and putting it on the shelf and never doing it again. Um, and I really, really missed that. And that's what the Dreamcast reminds me of. It reminds me of back when that's what people cared about was games being exciting and games being fun instead of games, you know, checking all the box on a checklist due to, you know, a focus group saying, you know, the game will score this and, you know, sell this many if, you know, we make it eight hours long and, I hate all that. I really do. I hate it with passion. So that's my favorite system, the Dreamcast. Uh, next is a comment from Molly Baker. He says, how hard is it to find a CRT? I found a huge one on the side of the road with a sign that said free on it. Um, so this was in response to me saying it's a lot easier to get an NES Classic Edition um, than it is to get an NES and an old CRT. Now, yes, CRTs are free. Um, I almost grabbed 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, someone had three on the side of the road. And uh, every time I run into town, I drive past this and I'm just like, man, I could use another one. Maybe these are nicer. Maybe one of these has component inputs. Um, you know, I was, I just, and then it rained and then I'm like, well, they're probably all ruined now. But uh, yeah, I see these at thrift shops, although that's becoming more difficult. Uh, but you do see them on the side of the road or in Craigslist and usually you can get them for free. Um, but that doesn't make it easier than the NES Classic Edition. The NES Classic Edition, you're going to be able to go into any store at Christmas, uh, buy one probably off a pallet and bring it home and hook it right up to your TV. No big deal. When you're talking in NES, well, you have to find a CRT on the side of the road. Uh, you have to be able to get it into your car. Most of these things, if they're worth a damn, probably way over 80 pounds at this point um so there's that then there's finding a dedicated spot in your living room or your dining room or somewhere in your house um you know that you can put it but of course you have to go buy an entertainment stand to put it on and even that might not be easy because most entertainment stands today are meant for flat screens so um, there's just a lot of hassle there. Will your wife, you know, let you, you know, steal a corner of the house or something like that? Do you even have room in your house? And then, of course, the NES itself uh, is a pretty expensive proposition at this point. Collecting or buying NES games isn't that cheap. Um, so it was more of, yes, a CRT isn't expensive, but it is still a cost of entry. There's a higher cost of entry, and that could be time, equity, uh, or space in your house. So that's kind of what I meant. But yes, CRTs, side of the road all the time. When I lived in my apartment complex before I moved here in November, I, there would be at least three a year uh, that would end up by the dumpster. So if you ever lived in an apartment, usually you have like a community dumpster. So there's 20 or 40 people using that, and there were a ton of CRTs. Uh, I never ended up grabbing any of them. Um, none of them had the features that I want or were better than what I currently have. But, you know, if there was a Trinitron with S-Video or component inputs, you know, an, an old SD set, not an HD ready set, I probably would have snagged it for sure. Ah, oh, alrighty. <laughs> <laughs> JS200GB says, I recently picked up a FrameMeister 2. Love it with the systems I've tried it on, especially the ones that have RGB. I'm not sure what to do about some PS2 games switching resolutions for a cutscene, etc. The FrameMeister Frame takes quite a bit of time to switch, making me miss the action. Anyway, I had sync trouble at first, but your past videos helped a lot. Um, so I get two, I'm not going to talk about technically about the FrameMeister, more of a general type of deal. Um, so I've had the, I have one of the very first frame meisters ever, ever made. I have, I got it the first Christmas season it was out. I have the 147th one off the assembly line. And at this point they've made just over 10,000. So I've had it longer than just about anybody. I paid $500 for mine. Uh, now you can get them on Amazon. I think right now for 385 with free shipping. Uh, so that's a, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good discount. I feel like they were even less earlier in the year but uh i could be wrong on that i felt like they were 300 like 287 289 but whatever they're under 400 shipped and uh the two comments that i get most often are i love the frame meister and it has made me uh re-fall in love with retro gaming has made me you know re-fall in love with pixel art um it has it definitely reignited my spark for 
classic gaming and in a lot of ways, you know, spawn this channel and this very podcast that we're talking on today. Um, and then the other side is people, and I don't know why people complain to me about the price because I don't, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but people get really, really angry that the device is $400. Um, and I don't really get that. Uh, if you don't feel it will provide $400 worth of value, don't buy it. It's just that simple. Uh, but I've yet to meet anybody that has bought a Framemeister and said, I got ripped off. Every single person, skeptical people that swore to me they were never going to buy one. It was too expensive, bought it and loved it. Um, even people that don't always use it, that don't use it for RGB. It isn't a terrific deinterlacer. So there are a ton of PS2 games that only run in 480i. There's a lot of GameCube games that only run in 480i. And there are, weirdly enough, some Xbox games that only run in 480i. And uh, the Framemeister is one of the best boxes you can buy uh, to take that 480i content, deinterlace and upscale it to 1080p or 720p. And I know people that bought it just for that purpose and found that, uh, you know, they're slowly getting their value out of it. So I don't want to push anybody to spend $400 on something you really don't need. Um, but I don't know anybody that has bought one and, and didn't, um, you know, find value in it and find, you know, $400 worth of value in it. it it's not a perfect device. Like you said, uh, it has some issues with the, the Saturn N64 and PlayStation 1 games that might have 480i menus, uh, but then 240p, uh, you know, gameplay. Um, those games exist and it is kind of annoying. Um, it takes about three seconds for it to switch. Um, and then depending on your TV, it might even take more. Uh, this TV I have here will grab an HDMI signal real quick, maybe a second at the most. Uh, my old Vizio would take uh, a few seconds. So, you know, that made it even worse. But uh, bum, plus I have a capture card between everything. So there's a lot of steps for me to see it. But I'm glad you enjoy it. I try to be very upfront and honest about it, what it can do. Uh, obviously, I have some amazing looking footage. And if you buy one, that's what you can expect. And it's pretty amazing. Um, very, very amazing. Alrighty, so now we move on to the... I thought this was going to be a short show, I'm not going to lie. Uh, now we move on to the cheap game segment... Oh, thank you all for your questions. Uh, now we move on to the cheap game segment of our program. So collecting video games, classic video games, can be very expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So I'm going to talk about two games that I paid less than $5 for. Uh, one goes for more than $5 today, one is still under $5, and both are worth your time. So... I try. There's no clouds today. So like the picture. Oh, there it goes. Picture's been so stable. Last week editing the video, I look like a zombie. Oh, it was bad. Dark, weird circles around my eyes. Look at that. Just holding up the game just ruins it. Alrighty. So this is Aladdin for the Sega Genesis. As you can see, I paid 99 cents for this in a case. No manual, though. Um, I'm surprised I haven't brought this one up, but uh, Aladdin... Uh, I brought up the Super Nintendo one, but this is made by Virgin Interactive, published by Sega, meaning it was never released on the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo, of course, had the Capcom developed Aladdin, which is worth your time as well. I prefer the, the Virgin games over the Capcom games. This feels more like uh, a standard platformer. If you like the Virgin games, the Jungle Book, um, 
what else was there? Huh? The Jungle Book. The, you know, this is right. Terminator was another one. Probably the same engine. In fact, I wonder if Earthworm Jim is the same engine as well. They all kind of have that camera that like jerks around when you change directions. That's what this is too. Uh, but you have a sword, you have a, a projectile, and you have some levels that are just a lot of fun to go through. Uh, what I really dig about Genesis Aladdin, one, it's a traditional platformer, and two, most of the music is right uh, from the movie, uh, which I really dig. Something missing on the Super Nintendo one. So uh, this is a game that I did not care so much for as a kid, uh, but is a game that I have grown to love, thanks in part to the Frame Meister. And uh, you should check out. Uh, this game is actually still pretty cheap. I think this was the third best-selling Genesis game ever in the United States. So there are a ton of copies out there, and it still goes for between 5 and $10. All right, next we have Sonic Advance on the Game Boy Advance. Now, I paid $2.99 for this. Surprisingly, this still goes between $3 and $4 on eBay. Uh, the Sonic Advance trilogy uh, on the Game Boy Advance is pretty awesome. So Sega, we're obviously already embracing handhelds, uh, even during the Dreamcast lifespan. Of course, we had the Sonic Pocket Adventure on the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Um, there was the N-Gage game. Actually, this might have been the Engage game now that I think about it. And um, Sonic Jam on the GameCom. So they were already embracing handhelds, knowing that that isn't going to eat into Dreamcast sales or anything like that. Um, so this came out in 2001, the same year the Dreamcast basically died. Uh, Sonic Advance has four playable characters, Sonic Knuckles Tails. They all control exactly like you would expect. Um, and then there's also Amy. Uh, the only problem I have with this game is that Amy doesn't spin into a ball when she jumps. So when Amy jumps, she's vulnerable, uh, which makes the game really awkward to play. Um, but as a whole, very solid platformer. Um, I will get through this and review it on the channel probably within a month or two. And then I'll probably revisit the rest of the trilogy. Sonic Advance 2, um, my favorite of the three, um, just because it's so damn fast. And that's what I really dig about it. Um, that one had some interesting acrobatics. Uh, if you hit a certain item on the screen and press a trigger, you kind of launch... God, I don't even know what you'd call it. You can do tricks. Basically, jump higher. It's like a Sonic having a double jump in a way. And then uh, Sonic Advance 3 added, uh, you get to pick two characters. And then depending on what character combination you pick of Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles, you can do different moves. Um, so I might get this wrong, but I want to say like you can make Sonic ride on Knuckles as he glides and stupid stuff like that. Really cool, too. But the entire trilogy, if you're looking for some classic Sonic 2D platforming, uh, Sonic Advance is awesome. And the first game is dirt cheap, so you should definitely pick it up. So that is going to do it for this week. If you're listening to the show and you would like to see my face or watch any of the other content I do each and every week, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash implant games and if you're watching this on youtube and would like to subscribe to it like a normal podcast i have links to the rss feed i have a link to the google play and i have a link to itunes as well uh, if you want to download the episode i do make all of the mp3s i don't hide them you can download them and do with them as you wish uh, implantgames.com click on listen and then you can click on any episode in the player there is a download link and you can have that file if you need it for whatever reason. So that's going to be it for this week, guys. Until next time, have a great week.